Thank you for tuning in and welcome back to Sessions with Sid. I'm here with one of my very best friends, Allison Voidovich, and it took me like only three years to get that last name right. Um, you said it beautifully. <laughs> practice. But I would love for you to just tell us who you are and what you're passionate about, what you do. All right. Um, things that I do, you kind of hit on some of them. I'm a trainer, a nutrition coach. Um, a really good way to describe my life is I've never let anyone tell me I can just do one thing. <laughs> so I do definitely love being outside. I kind of mentioned growing up in a hunting and fishing family, um, which has served very well during quarantine. We don't have a shortage of meat, <laughs> which is nice. Um, actress, stand-up comedian, uh, pandemic love host <laughs> for this live stream dating show we're launching. Definitely content coordinator and marketer as well. That's a big area of money for me. I do um, content creation for several different alternative health doctors and brands and things of the, that sort. Um, and yeah, it's funny that you said that my boyfriend has gotten me into gene keys the last couple of days. Are you familiar with that framework? No. So it's, it kind of takes like some of the aspects of human design and, um, ties it in. I know you love human design. I did listen to your, your, I did listen to your other podcast that you said the other day. But I'm dancing right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, dancing. Oh. Okay. <laughs> no, but it's, it's interesting because me and uh, Alex are both very interested in like a lot of the esoteric stuff, but also like, how do we apply it? And Gene Keys is a really beautiful way of them. I don't even know what the explanation is, but somehow they figured out how to tie a lot of the theories of human design and astrology into actual DNA evidence and like why those things manifest in people in certain ways. Wow. And um, yeah, so highly recommend. I'm still just getting like into the book and, and all that stuff. But we ran my Gene Key today because we finally like found my birth certificate with my actual birth time on it and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um there's this little section called your purpose, what deeply fulfills you. And I think it answers your question of what do I do very well? The description says, it may be difficult to put your finger on your exact purpose in life. Everyone wants to know their purpose when in fact, we all ultimately have the same one, to enjoy life. You epitomize what it means to play with life. Everything presents you with something new to learn and evolve from. Every relationship you have changes you. Every place you live in changes you. Every structure or organization or opinion you participate in changes you, but none of them alter your deepest core. It's your deepest core that you are here to bring to the planet. Your ability to move through life like a child, allowing everyone to influence, everything to influence you, but nothing to knock you out of your spirit of playfulness and wonder. No matter what happens to you in life, you will always bounce back remarkably quickly. For you, the past and the future are unimportant. The only thing that matters is what you are into right now. This is your secret and your joy. And... I just found that really like nice to read because I was like, yeah, that, that's kind of it. Like I used to make this joke that I wanted to be the female Joe Rogan and not in the sense that I wanted to do the same stuff he does, but he just does whatever he wants and gets paid for it. <laughs> so I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> One of the things that really stood out to me was play with life. Mm -hmm. And that's just such a powerful, powerful statement. And you're doing that. And 
that's amazing. And yeah, I mean, maybe you could share like along this idea of playing with life, how would you encourage people or how could someone who maybe is scared to do something like that start? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, and to be clear, like I was not always in tune with that part of me. Uh, you and I have discussed this a bit. I've gone through my cycles of disordered eating and severe body image and all those things. And those demons don't necessarily go away. Um, the disordered eating is, is in check now, which is nice. But I always say in check, not gone. Cause it's totally like if you get right, you know, you can strip yourself down back to your lowest self sometimes and like, you'll still find those shadows. Um, but I would say a really cool place to start is to just ask yourself. I seem to have an interest in this thing. I haven't been doing it. I know what it's like to not be doing it because I've not been doing it. I can't make a judgment on whether this is improving or ruining my life until I try it. <laughs> and then I can always go back to not doing it if it starts to ruin my life. So like, to me, if there's something new that I'm interested in or I want to try, or it sounds cool, but it might be scary, or how am I going to get the money for this? It's like, you'll figure it out, but you may as well jump in and try it because all that's certain is right now anyway and you already know what it's like to live without that thing. So you know that you've got that level, that standard that you can always return to. But if the thing makes your life better, then why would you go back to that? You know? So that's kind of how I've approached a lot of things that I now love to do is like, it sounds cool. I think I want to do it. Let's try it. And if not, I just don't need to keep doing it. Like there's no pressure for me to keep doing it. Yeah. But, yeah. So like that's, beautifully put. Yeah. I think it's like, yeah, I mean, the, my biggest example is stand up. Like, I was just such a stand up fangirl, and I was so scared of anything that was improv or comedy or stand up related because I was so classically trained in theater. And I love that. I love doing classical theater, but I just felt so rigid on stage. And I got cast in this show that required me to be totally anything but rigid. And I was like, crap, I'm so bad at this. How do I get better? And then I just was thinking about, well, I've been obsessed with stand-up for a few years. Like there's open mics all over Austin. I may as well go to one and see what happens. And then I fell in love with it. And now that's my main form of performance, you know? And I always know I can just stop. Like no one's forcing me to do stand-up. Like I can just stop doing that and start auditioning for plays again. And I know what that's like. So it's 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 a fun little little puzzle journey almost <laughs> as you're talking like I feel this like excitement because you're doing things that you love and you're not letting like the fear of what if this thing doesn't work out but your approach is like hey I want to try this and the worst case that can happen is that I don't like it and I stop doing it, which mm -hmm. I'm getting chills as I say this because so many people let fear stop them from even just trying something. Mm -hmm. They come up with the stories about 
why they shouldn't do this or that. And then they never know if that thing is actually really going to fulfill them. Right. And, and that's what so many people are searching for, right? It's fulfillment. And I'm watching this, uh, I'm in this course right now called Freedom Teachers Academy that this guy named Jesse Elder created. Um, and I can't remember who he was quoting, but he said this on the, the lesson I watched last night. Uh, the quote was, most people are walking around with their umbilical cords hanging out of their stomach, trying to find a place to plug it back in. Wow. And that's like a really kind of gross visualization, but it's true. Like so many people are searching for their meaning, quote unquote, or their purpose or where they belong. And it's like, you have interests, like, you know what your interests are. If you feel like you're having that emptiness somewhere, you need to start tuning more into those and feeding them and giving yourself permission to do it. And I think the fear of failure is what you said, like so often what causes people to not do it. They, they think that they go to their first comedy open mic and they bomb, which everyone bombs on their first comedy open mic. Like no one's funny when they first go up there, but it's like you do it and it's a success because you did it. It's not necessarily like you made the whole room die of laughter. It's like, no, you just got like, that's one of the scariest things you could do. And that relates to anything, you know, whatever that thing is for you that you really want to do and you haven't done it. It's probably a fear of failure or of some degree keeping you from it but you need to remind yourself that like no you probably succeeded because you just filled that cup in you that has always been empty and that's the success yeah yeah wow and not filling up the cup with those things and not connecting your umbilical cord to (laughs) the things that really do fulfill you can lead to so many different avenues and problems and addictions and trying to just fill, fill, fill with anything but the thing that it needs to be filled. Absolutely. And that, I mean, in, in my own like health story, it is so clearly manifested. Like the, the years, I would say it was like a year to two years where I was really bad. Like I swung from orthorexia, which is defined as um, being very strict and restrictive with your eating. So it's like, you're usually obsessed with the ingredients in a food and then also how much of it you're eating and also over-exercising. I went from that to like this binge, this binge restrict cycle for a while. And the thing that broke me out of it was, uh, well, got me to admit that I had a problem was that I purged one night and I like burst all these blood vessels in my eyes. And so I looked like I had been beaten because like my entire whites of my eyes were red for like weeks. And I remember like those two like dark years of me going through that whole process was like, um, I wasn't performing, like literally wasn't getting on stage and and performing. And part of it was like, I was mad at myself because I was scared to audition for stuff. 
because I didn't like how I looked. And so it was just this weird back and forth cycle of like, well, no, I need to look a certain way before I can audition and get the part I want. And then I just wasn't auditioning at all. And then I started getting out of it when I started auditioning again and I got a part. And then like, I was slowing down on that cycle. And then I had that one where I purged and I was in a play at the time where my character, this gets a little dark, my character got a got an abortion on stage that later kills her in the play. And um, and so it's like a really intense like screaming scene and like really energetically depleting and stuff. And so I had to show up to rehearsal with all of these blood vessels broken in my eyes because it like had like happened, you know, during the show was being while the show was being put together and I just told them that it was from screaming too much. <laughs> I remember like lying about it, but but it was interesting because like I did notice a like a, a significant decrease in like what I would call episodes of like binging after I got cast in that play because I was starting to fill, fill that cup again. Mm -hmm. And so the kind of addictive pattern with food to like fill that void started to break. And it was just this kind of like, you know, you know, uh, peak of all the shit coming together and after that it was like all right I'm telling my mom what's going on I'm you know having certain people that I care about in my life to hold me accountable and I fully like to this day I'm just like I really do think that I went through such a bad cycle with all that stuff because I wasn't allowing myself to perform and do what I know is like a key part of me as a person um so yeah that's that's my little rant on <laughs> why you just need to do what you love. Even if it is just at like an amateur level, you don't need to make what you love your job, but if you can, then dang, you got to do it. <laughs> no, this is not rant at all. Like, thank you for sharing. Um, it's such a powerful illustration of the healing that comes with, and I'm, Getting chills again. Um, <laughs> I know you just, for those who are listening, she, like Sid just put on a sweater. Like <laughs> they went through this whole thing of like sweater put on. <laughs> My energy like shifts and I feel so much that I'm like squirming around finding blankets and putting jackets on and taking them off. <laughs> um, but just this powerful illustration of like the healing that really comes from listening to yourself listening to your deep desires your intuition and putting the ego which is the fear the what if somebody doesn't like me all of that aside and just like no this is what i love doing i'm going to do it and having this sort of like really when I say miraculous, not like magic, but like miracles are happening all the time. They're so small or, or they can be big, but like that you attain to this healing from having this moment of like, Oh, this is like what I need to not be doing this other thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And it, it put it, it put in, um, it made it no longer ignorable for me to see how 
this addictive cycle of mine was affecting my life because other people could see the physical manifestation of it. Um, my weight like swung a little bit throughout those years, but not to the point where people really thought that I was unhealthy in any way. And so, yeah, that like clearly like actual negative physical abuse essentially um, was a, was a big, big eye opener quite literally. <laughs> um, but yeah. And I was just thinking of this too. Like I'm definitely thankful to have had my passion be in acting because anyone can be passionate about anything. Um, I could even put it into a fishing analogy, but like being okay with failure, like, like I said, if you, if you're a fan of something or you want to do something and you don't do it, it's a win when you start doing it. But once you're in that thing and trying to get better, being okay when you have a set that doesn't go the way you want, when you don't catch that one you were trying to catch, when you don't get the part in the audition, when you miss the note on your instrument, like whatever it is that you're trying to get better at, being okay with those failures makes life like lessons feel a lot easier because I can't tell you how many clients I've tried to land or, um, you know, business pitches I've sent or different ideas I've had that I've just kind of like let go away. There's totally a lot of things that I try and then I just scoot them off because they don't do what I want them to do or I don't get better in the way I wanted to. And so I'm like, never mind. But it just makes it so much less of a personal attack. Like it's not about you. It's it's just, you know, whatever it is, maybe that's not what you're meant to be doing. And it, and it allows you to have this level of objectivity when you hear no in an audition 50 times. And you're just like, okay, cool. That one wasn't for me. Move on. Like it's, you don't take it as personally. It's not a judgment on you. It's just the circumstances weren't aligned for you to be in that play. Um, and, and I'm thankful to have it in that obvious of an example for my life where it's like, you know, I get up on stage and it's terrifying and it sucks when I bomb, but like, okay, I'll listen to the recording and learn from it. And next time my jokes will be better. Like you just, you know, what doesn't kill you. Right. <laughs> totally. Um again, such a really positive perspective shift on looking at rejections or when things don't work out the way that you hoped as, okay, this wasn't meant to be. And I always look at it that way too. And like, okay, if that didn't work out, then there must be another opportunity that this one that didn't work out needed to make space for so that this other thing could work out. And yeah. it's so much more powerful when you look at it that way, like you said, rather than what's quote wrong with me, like nothing's wrong with you. It's not for you. Right. Or not for you at this time. Like I had a conversation like this with a friend um, where she was saying kind of essentially that, right? Like, oh, maybe me and my friend were both vying for this opportunity and my friend got it over me rather than like taking it as a personal attack. It's like, okay, she's, she's Catholic. So she's like, okay, God, like didn't want me to have it at this time. It wasn't in God's plan. And I told her like, yeah, it wasn't in God's plan for you now. But the fact that your friend got that opportunity shows you that that opportunity is possible. 
And so if you really feel like you need to keep working toward it, you know that it's a possible thing you could get eventually. And then it gives you the hope and the drive to continue working toward it. It's just kind of, yeah, you're really great at talking about tapping into your intuition and all that stuff. And I think there is kind of an art to understanding whether this is a thing that I just, I, I wanted to work on for a little bit. And then maybe I hit a certain benchmark that tells me, never mind, I'm done. Or if you really do have that passion, you just keep working on it. And the way you get better at things like that is by allowing yourself that objectivity of self-analysis and, you know, breaking down the ego. I'm not as good as I think I am and that's okay. I'm going to keep working on it. That's a good thing. Like as soon as you stop thinking that you're great at this thing, that's when you get better. <laughs> the, the, that was like so many analogies, but <laughs> well, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's that humbleness, like when you can maintain the, like, I, I always talk about like humbleness with my addiction clients. Um, mm. You want to be really proud of yourself when you have, you know, so many days strung together of sobriety, like congratulate yourself for that but also don't get too excited or too cocky, so to speak, about it. Keep yourself humble, um, knowing like, yeah, I can do this. You know, I've got this, but remaining between the extreme of like, you know, I got this, I'm fine, I don't need to go to AA meetings anymore, you know, versus like depending on, you know, um, or, or like holding on to like, I can't do this. So it's like being in the middle, if that makes sense. Totally, yeah, it's like telling yourself, yes, this is possible because look, I've done it for, six months now, you know, I haven't touched alcohol in six months. So like, clearly it's possible for me to keep going, but also looking at the systems that allowed you to go six months without touching alcohol and understanding that like, they might feel like training wheels, but they're saving your life right now. And you need to keep on doing that until you like rewire that essentially. And, you know, the way that you support yourself in your addiction, whether, you know, obviously someone who's six months sober versus someone who's six years sober, they're in different places. Um, but they both know that they had systems and support that got them there. And I have noticed in, you know, that's such like a stark example, right? Someone who's been addicted to alcohol or whatever drug, like they, the, the people that I have seen as like the most successful in AA are the ones who are constantly humble. And they're like, you know, yeah, I can do it, but it's because of my community and it's because of this program that I followed. And like, they understand that they have the power, but by using those resources, they're so much stronger, right? You know, two, one plus one is three sort of deal. Totally. Yeah. That's right on the, on the nose with that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to, I feeling like I want to go into your comedy piece a little bit because I know that, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're, 
so active on, you know, in the virtual space and in real life with being a personal trainer and being so um, well educated in nutrition and you've helped me so much and I'm so grateful for that. Um, but I also just want to like really highlight how f I want to say fucking funny you are. Um, <laughs> I mean, when I come across like the clips you, the little like teasers you post, I just like will be in the grocery store. And I'll just start laughing out loud. Like this is my friend, Allison, who is hilarious. Like that want, makes me so happy. <laughs> I want to talk about comedy. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, comedy is ridiculous. Um, how do you, how do you get into it? Yeah. So, um, shortly after I graduated from UT, so for for reference, I'm 25 right now. So, for reference, there's that. Um, I graduated from UT when I was, I guess, 22, and um, I like the summer after that got cast in this company called Shitfaced Shakespeare, which already sounds like a shit show. And it kind of is like, basically the premise is we take a Shakespeare play and we keep all of the major plot points. We do all of the acts, but we cut it down to be one hour. And then we get one of the cast members drunk for the show. And then the rest of the cast has to soberly deal with the drunk person who's basically allowed to do whatever they want as long as it's within the world of the play. So like, for example, I was in Romeo and Juliet. I played Juliet for almost two years. And like, I, <laughs> um, as drunk Juliet would sometimes reject Romeo and go after Mercutio. And that's valid in the play. Like that could have happened. So they have to deal with it and trade lines or whatever they want to do to like, get the play to still make sense. So the audience oftentimes leaves like, what did I just see? <laughs> that wasn't Romeo and Juliet. Um, <laughs> it's very, it's very fun. But as I mentioned earlier, I was, uh, I was lucky to, to go to the high school that I did. My directors were very good at, at coaching like all different time periods of theater. And I love the classics and I loved in theater that we always had that spine of the script to, to come back to. And so when I got cast in that and it basically just was like, yeah, you're doing Shakespeare, but you might need to improvise three of the acts in Elizabethan English. Like that totally threw me off. And so I considered doing improv classes and no offense to improv actors. They're very talented, but the idea of taking an improv class made me want to barf. So I was just like, this feels like middle school theater classes. I don't want to do it. I love stand up. I it just like I was a fan of the Joe Rogan podcast of course and so like I just I just thought that like all of his episodes with his comedian friends I was like these people sound like people I would want to hang out with and so I just started kind of creeping at, at stand-up comedy mics in Austin I think I probably attended them at least one a week for like two months before I ever actually got on stage because I wanted to understand the logistics I was still very in my type a brain how does this work? How long do you get? Okay, I remember seeing that comedian at this other mic. Is this like a community? What's going on? And I like figured out very quickly, it's totally a tight community. And now that I'm in it, like I'm connected to people on Facebook I've never met in real life just because I do stand up. And it's just this whole underground thing. And so I finally ran into a friend from college 
who I knew through like the Greek world. Like he was a frat boy. I was in a sorority and he was doing stand-up. And I was like, what the heck? And <laughs> he just saw me at this mic and was like, I think you're going to do stand-up and I think you're going to like it. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> so I tried it and it was terrifying and cool. And I did it like two or three times and I just kind of stopped because I was like, okay, like, I think I feel looser now. Like, let's just focus on Shakespeare. And I went on this trip the following spring with my friend to Dublin and we stayed with a family there and the parents were both like entrepreneurs and so sweet and wonderful humans. And we had just this heart to heart the night before we flew back to America and they were like, Allison, you hate where you're working right now. Like you have all of these goals for your job, like for your company, you want to do stand up. You won't shut up about it. Like you need to go home and start actually doing those things. And so sure enough, like the week after I got back from Dublin, I went to my first open mic seriously, was even more scared than the first time I did it. Didn't do well, but like some comedian that was there was running another open mic later that night. And he was like, you have good stage presence, come to my mic. And I was so like astonished that someone noticed me that I was like, yes. And so I went and did that one too. And for the first six months of doing stand-up, I was going to at least one open mic every single night. And most of the times I would do two if I could. So I was doing like eight to 12 a week, figuring out what the heck it means to write a joke. You know, I was lucky that I knew how to be on stage from acting. So that's why I already had the stage presence. But it was like so difficult. And there's so many funny people in Austin. And I still don't consider myself one of the good ones. Like, they're just so funny. And um but yeah, I've been doing stand-up, quote-unquote, officially for almost two years. I'll have my, what I consider my two-year birthday in May. And uh, yeah, it's been a roller coaster. I've been very lucky to already have opened for a tour. Um, so I went to, I think, like 10 or 12 cities with Jennifer Fulweiler. I'm actually drinking out of her coffee mug right now. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, and it, it was really fun. But that's like what got me into it. And now it's just like... I always describe it as like being on stage is always terrifying and it gives you this energy. And I've done a lot on stage from singing to playing cello to acting to all that stuff. But like, if all of those things are coffee, stand up is cocaine. Like it is a totally different, and that's coming from someone who's never done cocaine. I know I do stand up and I should do cocaine, but um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's wild and it's terrifying, but I love it so much. And the people are crazy and great. And it's just all of these different people from all these different walks of life who are not afraid to be themselves because you have to be yourself to be good on stage. And that's the complete opposite of acting. So it's, it's really cool. <laughs> well, I love that. I didn't know any of that. Um, so it's really cool to hear. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, I love, I love stand up. <laughs> respect for people who do that. Um, cause I don't know. I imagine it's hard to like write a quote, like good joke and deliver it. And it's very, actually, I mean, coming back to like, vulnerable like I feel like comedy is especially vulnerable because you're really just like all right I'm gonna throw this out there and see if this joke lands and if it doesn't yeah okay if it doesn't like gotta learn to move to the next one yeah it, it, that's very true like 
I would say acting, a lot of people have like the misconception that you're putting on a front and like being someone else. I kind of like to describe it as like every person has every personality trait and I'm like holding up my hand. So if we say my index finger and my thumb stay up when I'm Allison, maybe when I'm playing Elizabeth Bennett, my index finger goes down and my pinky comes up and I'm pulling out like it's still Allison at the core, but I'm showing what I would be if I were in Elizabeth Bennett's circumstances. So it's still you. But there is a different level of level of vulnerability in it because when you're acting, it's like, okay, maybe they just didn't like my acting or maybe they just didn't like the character I was playing or they didn't like this choice I made as the character, but they still, it's not that they don't like me. <laughs> Whereas when you go on stage for stand-up and you're trying to tell a joke about living with your parents and you're 25 and it doesn't land, you're like, crap, these people don't like me. <laughs> And it's like, you can, that's the one where it's like, it's so easy to take it personally and you just can't. Uh, because like you mentioned, there's so many ways, like structuring a joke is such a question mark. Like everyone does it differently. And there's certainly things you can look at and people who quote unquote follow the rules and like know kind of the game of how to make something funny, but you can make it funny with wordplay, which is what I really like to do. You can make it funny by changing the tone of your voice. You can make it funny by using props. You can tell a story and just add a bunch of quips throughout it. Like there's so many ways. And so there's no like definitive guidebook on how to do it. And that's what makes it so interesting. I've described it before as like the puzzle where no one knows how many pieces there are and you just have to figure out how they fit together and hope it completes itself someday. That's kind of it. <laughs> yeah, you read my mind. I was going to ask you next which you've answered, which is like, how do you even write a joke? But then my next question was like, I feel like when I watch good comedians, they always have their thing. Like, I'm sure you're familiar with Eliza Schlesinger. I can never say her last name. Schlesinger, yeah, yeah, yeah. She cracks me up because she uses like voices and like these like, I'm like moving my body, like these movements. Um, and it's just so funny. And so I'm wondering, you know, like I've seen what you've shared online, but I've not yet had the opportunity to see you in real life, which I hope I get to next time I am over there in Texas. But what is your thing? People keep asking me that. And I feel like I'm still too new to it to decide I definitely like like I mentioned I like wordplay and I actually had some, <laughs> I had someone tell me I was too smart to do stand-up one time because it was like I had like my favorite jokes are all super layered and like they play on words so like one of them is yes like, tell me a joke oh god okay this totally plays so different you've probably I've shared this one on Instagram or at least part of it but um I always say, uh, if you are looking for a way to defend yourself, if you're a woman out by yourself, carry a tampon in your pocket because no one fucks with a girl who has a tampon in her pocket. She's probably on her last string. Don't pull on it. <laughs> it gets really messy. And there's like layers to that, right? And then yeah. usually like, like the women are laughing at it and usually the men are like, ugh. And so I'll call them out on it and just say like, I like that joke because all the guys tighten their butts on it. And then that makes them laugh. 
And then I say, you guys can loosen up. Tampons don't go there. And so it's just <laughs> like, it's like, so I like try to like tell people, okay, I have this tampon joke, but it has nothing to do with periods. And they're like, no way. <laughs> like, I promise. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah. I, and I don't know, like, like that joke. And I, <laughs> I have this bad joke about my boyfriend. Like they just, they just come to me. And so I'm like trying to figure out, okay, what is it that like, sometimes I can just, something comes to me and it's got all of these wordplay layers. And other times I really have to sit with a joke and like write it a million times before it happens. And even then sometimes I'm like, eh, this is fine, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely been a thing of me trying to tap more into my intuition of like, all right, is this really what I want to lean into? And if so, like learning more about the timing because we're, things like that, to me, it's like, oh, my brain connects it so quickly, but you need to like take the pauses and make sure people are hearing all of the words because they do all tie together. Um, so that was, has been the huge thing for me. I've always been a fast talker and being, especially on stage, like time moves so much slower when you're on stage. So you think you're speaking normally, but you're actually like, blah, 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 and no one hears it. Um, so yeah, definitely learning that like, if I'm going to stick to that style, knowing how to pause more and like use my facial expressions more and maybe embody a little bit more and like mess with the mic and stuff. There's certain things that I can do to enunciate what I'm doing that I've just started to play with. So I'm still kind of finding that I don't have like a catchphrase or anything yet, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Now that you say that thinking back to seeing your videos you do do that so well where you will take say part of the joke and you just wait there for a second but like the timing is perfect and then you say something else and that but that's what makes it so hilarious because you you're like using the responses of the audience in a way that is really hilarious and it <laughs> and it almost it like seems like you didn't even think of those layers in advance, like that you just do that in the moment. And I think that's takes like real talent. <laughs> you have to really, like be able to, like you said, the timing. So that's, yeah. Now I want to like go back and watch and like <laughs> see that. Cause I definitely like can tell like what you're saying. Yeah. Um, the timing matters for sure. <laughs> um, well, this has been really fun and I'm learning things about you that I didn't know, which is so cool. Um, I guess before we wrap up and kind of share where people can find you, is there anything else that you would want people to know, whether it's, you know, if they're wanting to try something that they're scared of that, you know, they've been wanting to for a while, but they've been feeling held back or yeah, just anything that lingers that we've talked about that you really want to share. Yeah. I mean, we're recording this while quarantine is pretty much full, full on <laughs> right now. Um, so during this time specifically, like we are in such a cool opportunity time. 
you basically don't have an excuse to not try that thing right now. Obviously stand up, you know, social things, but like if there's something you've been wanting to learn about or study or whatever, like do it now. You have the time, make yourself healthier, go start learning that instrument, start learning Spanish, like whatever it is, like we have the time now and I'm definitely taking it to my advantage. Um, if you've had a business you wanted to launch, like I realize that like income might sound scary, but you can at least start building those blocks so that when people start spending their money again, you're ready to go and sell. Um, definitely that. And then also, yeah, like if there's anything I could just get everyone to know, it's like, get over yourself. It's not that big of a deal. We are literally a speck flying through whatever the fuck the universe is. Like, just do it because like, we really like, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like this coronavirus shit really is opening up a lot of eyes right now. And I hope that it lasts because like, not the coronavirus, but I hope like the mindset lasts of like, oh crap things can change at any moment. So like do it now because the more you say, oh yeah, I want to, or maybe like you're not going to do it. So just get over it and do it. And if anyone ever like needs to talk to someone about it, I'd be happy to DM you on Instagram, <laughs> just contact me, whatever. Like it's, it really is not as big a deal as everyone wants to make it. And the universe has good plans for those who try. So highly encourage trying. <laughs> yes. Everything you just said was so good. Get over yourself and do it. I love it. Um, yeah. So where can people find you? Where are all of the places that people can connect with you and find you? Too many. Um, yeah. My, I realize my last name is ridiculous. So anything for my personal and comedy is Aliwo, A-L-L-I-W-O. That's uh, Instagram. My website is aliwo.com. I'm the Aliwo on Twitter and YouTube because some bitch decided to pretend to be me. Um, <laughs> and oh no, did my internet break off? Mm. Cool. I just turned my video off for a second. All right, where did I where did I break off? My connection was a little unstable. Um, we were talking about the bitch that stole your Twitter <laughs> name. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Um, I don't know who decided that their handle was supposed to be Aliwo, but that's mine. So I'm the Aliwo on YouTube and Twitter. Um, Twitter is where you go to see my like sort of thought out jokes. Um, and then if you want to get more into the health and fitness side, I'm flabs to fitness, S L A B S T O fitness on all of the things. Been working on my uh, exercise library. I'm almost done with it on YouTube. So if there's any exercise you've ever wanted to learn how to do, I have really solid videos that are only like 30 seconds a piece on that. There's no bullshit four minute how to do a bench press <laughs> videos. <laughs> I'm not trying to sell you anything on those. So um, those have been fun. But yeah, that's those are those things. <laughs> those will all be in my show notes. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you it's for asking been, me on. Yeah, it's been so fun. And if you want to connect with Allie, I will have all of her links. And you should reach out to her because she's actually super amazing. So, <laughs> And for real, I'm serious. If you're having doubts, message me and I'll talk you down off that ledge. Go do your shit. <laughs> well, she's doing that for me and has been. <laughs>
All right. <laughs> Love to everyone.